0: This is the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast, and I am Mike Riccio, longtime personal trainer, professional strength coach, gym owner, and most importantly, a devoted modern father and husband. I've been fortunate to learn under some of the most intelligent minds in health and fitness over the past 15 years, as well as work with amazing clients and athletes. What I've most fallen in love with over the years is the power we have over our lives. The power to decrease risk of disease and injury, the power to reach our true potential, the deep abilities the body is capable of when all aspects of health are working simultaneously. On this podcast, you will learn the importance of preventative health and how to optimize your habits to optimize your life. All right, listeners, here we go. We are on with Jimmy Choi. Jimmy was diagnosed at the way too early age of 27 with Parkinson's disease. Today, we're gonna talk about Jimmy's journey and we're gonna talk a lot about mindset. You know, obviously, Jimmy had different plans for his life. You know, he was in the technology field. He just started having children. And a diagnosis like Parkinson's, you know, changes things. But at the same time, it doesn't have to. And, you know, what you're going to hear about Jimmy is he's a person that once he got through what we'll refer to today as the dark stages, he really found a way to move forward in life and not just achieve what he was hoping for before Parkinson's, but significantly more. Not only did he successfully become a chief technology officer, which was his goal from a career standpoint, but he has raised well over half a million dollars towards the Michael J. Fox Foundation and Parkinson's. He has run hundreds, literally over a hundred, marathons and half marathons. He has done Spartan races. He has done ultra marathons. He has been on the American Ninja Warrior show, the famous show, now um, five times. He has a Guinness World Record he is just such an impressive, impressive human being. And we're going to dig into the details, the dailies, what made him able to do what he had to do and to have the mindset that he does to now accomplish everything that he has. And the step-by-step process that got him from what was just the goal of walking around the block that has become obviously so, so, so much more. So this Episodes for everybody, because as Jimmy will tell you, everyone is dealing with some type of adversity and some type of obstacle. And no matter what yours is, Jimmy's messages are going to help get you through. So listen in, check out Jimmy after you listen, and please don't forget to rate and review. Hi, Jimmy. Welcome and thanks for being on, man.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. A lot, a lot of exciting points that we get to hit on today to kick off. You know, I I'd like to kind of jump right in to just Parkinson's in general. And if you could help people maybe, you know, define it on a little deeper level and um, you know, and then maybe that could lead up to your very early diagnosis of it.
1: Yeah. You know, Parkinson's is, you know, there, there's, there's really no way to dumb it down, but uh, you know, it, it, you know, just for for a layman's perspective, right? Essentially, what's happening is that it is a it is a neurodegenerative disease, means that uh, it's going to get worse over time. There is no cure for it, but essentially, what's happening is that neurons in my brain are slowly dying, and these neurons are specifically ones that produce dopamine, the chemical in your brain that helps you control movement, right? The communication between your brain and your muscles. So these uh, this dopamine is 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 not being produced. And these neurons are slowly dying, which over time is causing me to start uh, losing more and more control of just my overall movement. And this is the thing that people most have a misconception about Parkinson's. Everybody always thinks tremor. Okay. But any muscle in your body can be affected by Parkinson's. Okay. Uh, Internally, externally, two examples that I like to give is that your intestines move you know, food along your digest, digestive tract, and that is a muscle movement. So that in itself is also affected by Parkinson's, right? So people don't usually think about uh, constipation and things like that. And it could be really painful. So that's, I just want to bring that into the light and, mm-hmm. and so that people don't immediately think, oh, it's just tremors. It really isn't, right? The other thing that I have to deal with every day is that, you know, those little muscles that contract and, and, uh, and tighten your, your eardrums and help you hear, well, that muscle for me is is constantly moving and tremoring, so I can't really hear out of one of my ears, and really, you know, all I hear is this, a lot of times it's just this fluttering sound because my eardrum is constantly contracting and and releasing. But as you can see, how that could be really annoying over twenty four hours every day, you know, seven days a week, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you know, that's just I, again, I just want to give everybody an overall picture. It's not just about tremors. Uh, there's there's a, there's a whole mess. That, that goes along with it. But you know, as far as my own personal experience with Parkinson's, I was diagnosed at a very young age. Uh, I was 27 years old when I was first diagnosed with Parkinson's. The average age of, of, of diagnosis and onset is about 60. So uh, anybody diagnosed before the age of 50 is considered young onset. And uh, about 15 to 17% of people with Parkinson's are considered young onset. I'm 46 today, which means I've lived with the disease now for 18 years. So, you know, it's kind of sad to think about that my my Parkinson's diagnosis is is, is a legal adult, right? Yeah. But, you know, every time I walk into a room full of other people with Parkinson's, they all look at me and I'm usually the youngest one in the room, right? Because as I mentioned, average onset is age 60. But, you know, when it comes to living with it, I've lived it for 18 years and those people who are 65 and diagnosed at age 62, they lived there for 3 years. So, really in a room like that, I become the senior in that group. Yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was diagnosed in, in 2007 and then fast forward to today, you know, it's 18 years later. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't always it's I mean, it's Parkinson's sucks. But for the first eight years, I, I think I did what any 20 something year old would have done, which is I try to ignore it. I try to I try to ignore that disease away. I try to, you know, take a pill and I'll be fine. Right. And initially when I took the pill, I, I felt fine. But as, this, as the disease progressed, I never made any attempts to, to, uh, to change my medication. It changed the way that I lived. It changed my lifestyle, right? Uh, I was given a, a life-changing diagnosis and I didn't change my life. Uh, so for those first eight years, uh, was, my symptoms began to just pile on top of each other. Uh, it's gotten to the point where I was uh, overweight because of I wasn't moving around, almost no activity to physical activity. I was 240 pounds. I couldn't walk without falling over, so I had to use a cane. Yeah, I was, I was angry. Uh, you know, everything bothered me. I was depressed. And I always say that during that time of my life, it's it, it it wasn't the life that I intended to lead. And it certainly wasn't the life that I wanted to live. So that was my 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 first eight years. And then something happened. I I, I fell down the stairs with my with my son. He was only 10 months old because I, I wasn't able to keep my balance. And that, that jolted action, you know, I, that moment in time as I was falling down the stairs and I, when I was at the bottom of the stairs, I looked up and my, and my daughter and my wife staring at me, the look of horror in their faces, I decided that I needed to, to make some change. Whatever it was, I, I was going to make a change. And that was in 2010. And then, you know, I know we got a lot to talk about. So fast forward, yeah. uh, fast forward from 2010 to now. You know just a a couple of things you know i'm uh, i'm an ultra marathoner i've done hundreds of marathons and half marathons combined i've been american ninja warrior five times i've got two world records as you can see above my head and i i've done all this just because of that that it all started from that from that moment when i hit the bottom of the stairs uh there was a mind switch that that flipped and and it didn't happen overnight right it's, all this happened over the next uh, over the next 11, 11 years and, and, and change. But, uh, but yeah, and something up here had to change before any of that could have happened. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh, you know, to, to take a step back on the science side, before we go forward on the mindset, you mentioned dopamine and on this podcast, we talk a lot about dopamine in terms of habits and positive experiences and pleasure. hmm I think you brought up the lesser known side of it as a, as a huge component on the movement side of things. So I guess I'm I'm interested to know on the, on the pleasure side of things, is there anything else that a lack of dopamine has affected in your life? You know, not, not that the movement side isn't enough, of course, right. But is there, is there anything else that a lack of dopamine has also affected in you?
1: Of course. uh, You know, People with Parkinson's, uh, I would say more than two thirds of people with Parkinson's experience depression at some point, um, you know, in 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 their life, uh, you know, post diagnosis or, or post onset of Parkinson's, uh, you know, and 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 not just that, right? The the inability to to want to do things, okay, because you don't, you absolutely, there's just no pleasure in, in 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 achieving anything, right? You don't have that, you don't have that 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 thought or that 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 internal jolt, you know, shock to your system, right? So mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I it feel it's good to get things done. It feels good to do this. So what happens with people, a lot of, it, with people with practices and it happened with myself, the, those first eight years is that I, I, you just, you just didn't want to do anything. Nothing made you happy. Nothing made me happy. And I, and, and things that I, that I did, it, you know, it, it didn't have the effect that it used to have. So, uh, I, I'm used to be a huge golfer. I was a scratch golfer back in the day and, um, you know, love the game. Right. But after I was given the diagnosis for some reason, just knowing that, you know, I, I just, there was no pleasure in the game at all. Uh, Because when I played, I can feel my game degrading. Right. And, and, and that's, instead of just going out, having fun and still, and and still enjoying the game itself, it became a negative. So life outlook and life became more and more negative. And I think that that drives, a lot of people with Parkinson's, uh, and that and, and that pleasure side is lacking. Uh,
0: yeah, it's you know, it's fascinating because you know I, I read a lot of research on, and dopamine just comes up in a lot of the research that I tend to look at because I I do so much on the habit and lifestyle side of things. Mm-hmm. And you know the the original you know science was always that things were pleasurable because you had to go get them. It forced us to move, which is why dopamine had this dual effect. So, you know, if you wanted to go enjoy food well, you had to get up and you had to go hunt for it. <laughs> you, know, and, yeah. huh. you know, and nowadays we get this overdrive because everything is, is so much at our fingertips. So it's not hard. You know, we get a dopamine release with every swipe of social media, with every change of the channel, with that. It's just, it's just everywhere. Yep. So it, it's just, it's just fascinating to hear it on this other side. So if we go into what, you know, I saw your, your wife described these years as the dark years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the years where, you know, you, you did what I think most people would do. You know, it's and like you said, especially, especially someone in their twenties, you know, your mind, I'm sure still unbreakable still, you know, still nothing you can't do. Yeah. You know, I guess here, let me, let me take a, a quicker step back before this. You're, you're a chief technology officer. Where was life going for you before diagnosis? Where, what was the plan at that point, at least as far as you thought as, as a 25, 26 year old?
1: Well, I mean, it's, 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 at that time in my life it's really focused on, on, on career and uh, you know building building my life's work, right? Uh, and you mentioned that you know I'm, I was in the technology field back when I was 27, I wasn't chief uh, CTO yet. But I was certainly I had certainly had ambitions. actually, when we got married, I told my wife that by age 45, I was going to be a chief technology officer somewhere. I didn't, you know, whatever it was. And it wasn't going to be a, it wasn't going to be a tiny company. I told her that. So that was my, I was ambitious and that was going to be my goal. Cool. So my wife and I had plans to just travel, experience the world, uh, you know, before we had, before we have kids and, and really build our careers and, and, and build our life together as a, as a newly married couple back then, you know, and, and, that was where I thought things were going. And, and of course, Parkinson's derailed that to a, to to a degree. Um, And, you know, and and it took, it took a lot of, a lot of learning on my part to sort of write that train to get that train right back on the rails.
0: Sure. Uh, So how old were you when you became a
1: CTO? (laughs) I was 43. (laughs) I beat beat the goal. Beat the goal. I did did it. Um, But yeah, it, 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 it wasn't, it wasn't easy. But then, you know, at the same time, by age 44, uh, I'm sorry, by age 45, I had retired. So,
0: you know, I've got I've got many quotes from you here, but but one is, you know, everyone lives with adversity, big and small and don't give up the things you love. So, you know, you're going through these these darker years. Obviously, at that point, I'm sure at some point you're probably questioning the, the path in general. Mm hmm. You're right. Everyone does have adversity and not, and not everyone has this major diagnosis like you, but everyone has something. Everyone has something that either changes their plan out of force or just the lack of will. You know, I think things just, unfortunately we are chemically and hormonally based beings and things do change. Once you had this wake-up call, you know, thankfully you and your son are okay, but you still had the wake-up call. What are the first steps you start taking? Once you realize, okay, yes, I do want to change. Where do people start or where did you
1: start? So you know, for me, I didn't know where to start, right? So I just kind of stepped. I stepped back and I and, and I just just collected myself and thought, okay, what can I do? Where can I start? I don't, you know. And I was like, okay, well, let's think, let's think about this. The ultimate goal is I, I want to find a cure, you know. For, and let's be honest, it's all for selfish reasons. I want to find a cure cure for myself, right? So what I, I went online and I started searching. I remember, this is this is back in 2010. Google was a baby back then, right? So I was yeah. still. And uh, you know, <laughs> using Lycos or, or, or Yahoo, right? But, anyways, that was the first thing I did was was start doing, start doing, start gathering information. But when I realized that, number one, I'm not smart enough to find the cure, right? So there's nothing I can add to that because I'm just, I, I'm just not, I'm not a scientist. I don't have research background. I, I, I don't, I don't do any of that. So there's nothing I can do from that perspective to to help. So I'm not going to find a cure. Certainly I wasn't going to fund the cure because it, it, we, as we know, any any disease research treatment is billions in dollars of, of, of investment, right? I didn't have the money to fund it. So I did the next best thing that I can do and that's where I started was, you know what? I know there are researchers out there doing their work and, and they're looking for volunteers in clinical studies and trials and things like that. So I used that opportunity. I went out there and I searched for as many clinical trials as I possibly can And then I just signed up for it. I didn't care if if I wasn't even remotely qualified for it. I signed up, right? Because what does that give me? It it gives me number one opportunity to to learn. Every clinical trial you sign up for, you'll receive a packet of information. And then if you're so lucky, or in some cases unlucky to, to be selected, you'll receive yet more information. Right. So I'm learning a lot about the disease and I'm learning. I'm also meeting a lot of people from the research side, from our participant side, people living with Parkinson's, right. I'm also learning from them, you know, in their experiences. Uh, so, you know, that's really where I started. I, I, the first thing I could do is the least that I can do was just throw my body into science. Now, you know, we, we talked already a little bit about the whole, uh, you know, the, uh, the, 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 depression and the pleasure and all that mm-hmm. stuff and, and the pain, right? You know what, part of the things that drove me to, to just, uh, sign up for all these cl- clinical trials was is because I think in, in my, in my mind, I wasn't, I wasn't all right. Okay. And what I mean by that is, you know, if I were to have found and I already talked about, this is all very selfish, right? Um, if I happened to st- stumble upon a clinical trial, that was the cure. I'd be the first to get it, right? Yay, that's cool. But if I happen to stumble upon a clinical trial that required, you know, uh, taking, uh, you know, m- getting surgical procedures and doing things that are just risky, and I happen to perish while doing that from the side effects, at that point in my life, maybe that wasn't such a bad thing, right? And that'll give you the, a, a, an idea of where my mind was at that time. You know, if it took me, it took me, who cares?
0: Yeah. And do you, when did you have, and obviously you have
1: children at this time too? Yeah. I mean, my, my daughter was two years old and my son was, was, you know, about 10 months old at that time.
0: And so, I mean, it's, as a parent, you know, it's obvious, you know, it's just an extra step and it's an extra layer of where that mindset must've been to still have those thoughts as a parent. Cause you know, and I know obviously this has changed for you from that mindset now, but you know, it's everything changes once, once they're around.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's true, but you know at at the same time the the the, the lack of self care I was I was doing to myself uh, was contributing to that to that darkness right that that darkness that my wife mentioned. Yeah, uh, yeah,
0: and then you but then you do find that self care side right. So your first step was learn, which I love. I, I think yeah. that's where you know. And nowadays it's not like you said in, at that point it was different. Nowadays, if anything, we have over information. You almost have to be careful where you're learning from nowadays. Yeah but it's still a good first step. It's absolutely still good, you know, vet your information and learn, but at some point you have to take action and you do. Now at the time, you know, where, where does movement and exercise start becoming a part of this process for you?
1: It was actually a, a clinical trial. Uh, so I met, like I said, I was joining, I was signing up for any, anything that I would qualify for. And uh, one of the trials that I participated in was a and enforced exercise. So uh, what it involved was that I went to a, a physical therapist's office and the physical therapist would uh, would then, you know, go through a series of exercises where it's forced. So I'm either laying on a table and they're moving my body around for me, forcing me to keep up with it, or putting me on a powered machine that's moving my muscles for me and forcing me and forcing me to keep up with it, right? And then they're do- well, we're doing this study. And, and this was my really first experience into, into how physical activity affected how my body uh, was moving or, or reacting to to all that activity, and what I do notice started after a few sessions of that was that I I felt better, not only after those sessions, but hours after those sessions I felt better, you know. And then then on weeks that we didn't have these sessions, I didn't feel as good, you know. So that was really my first exposure into how movement. So I started thinking, you know what, maybe maybe there's something to this this movement so i started doing a lot of these exercises on my own at home just to see if i would feel a little better and lo and behold it's you know i i, I was starting to feel a difference so that was a start and then you know i like i said i didn't tr- i didn't try to boil the ocean you know i was a I, I was an athlete growing up in high school i know that 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 you know, nothing comes overnight. You got to work for it. Right. You have to build muscle memory. You have to build endurance. You got to build, you know, everything you have to train up for everything. So I just started doing maybe just a little bit more each day is what I told myself, you know, to get a little farther today on my walks around the block, uh, you know, with my family. And, and if I'm feeling good, maybe I'll take a couple of steps of jogging today. Right. And, and that's, that's where it all started.
0: Okay. You know, and then eventually you, you do find higher levels, but before we get to that, you know, you've introduced a layer to something that I talk about every day. And and I want to thank you for it because last two weeks, I've thought a lot about this, you know, for 16 years, I've been a trainer and a coach and, you know, I, I do a lot with, with trying to change people's lifestyle and, and having the goals be not secondary, but a, a component of a result of changing habits. So, you know, tell people instead of focusing, hyperfixating on weight loss mm-hmm. or hyperfixating on you know having better mood, do the literal things every day because those things are, are bigger concepts. But drink more water, move more every day. You know, you brought the layer beforehand. We've said the word mindset a few times already here. But, you know, the struggle for people even when we educate them, even when they know is still the mindset that gets them to actually get to changing these habits and to actually do what they have to day in and day out. Now I have to imagine how you feel physically changes quite a bit from day to day. Yeah. So I guess guess that's what I want to ask is, you know, how do you deal with, you know, people are dealing, have a hard time dealing with just motivational changes of, I just don't feel like it today. They don't even have the physical side like you do. So how do you deal with such large fluctuations in every type of
1: change? So, you know, uh, what, what do they say? 21 days to form a habit, right? Yeah. So, you know, and that's that I, I, I believe it because I've experienced it many, many times uh, And with any change that you make in your life, you, you gotta keep doing it. Right. And just like you said, there are, there are going to be times when motivation isn't there. So really what you need to have is discipline right? you got to have the discipline to know that I have to do this today, even though I don't feel like it, right? I know why I have to do it. I understand why I have to do it, right? Which is why I have to do it. So I have to have the discipline to get myself up. And I have to, and, and I know that today, because I'm not feeling, my body isn't moving as well as it was yesterday. You know what? I'm not going to PR today. I'm not going to PR every day, right? And people should know that professional athletes do not PR every day. I don't care if you're a marathoner. I don't care if you play in an NFL or NBA or MLB or, or WNBA or professional tennis gymnastics, nobody PRs every day. Mm -hmm. Right. So we are going to have those ups and downs. Everybody has those ups and downs and it's okay to have those ups and downs. And that even on those down days, right. Getting yourself up, telling yourself that you can get up and move, and you're still going to see long-term gains from that day's activities, even though you're not feeling at your best. Convincing yourself of that is, is, is very powerful, right? That's very powerful because then that's going to help you when you don't have the motivation, that's going to help you drive your, either your, your discipline or your determination, whatever it is that you've got, whatever else you have to rely on other than motivation to get your butt up and do what you got to do. You know, you you got, you got to stay on, stay on, stay on course, right? How many, how many times have you heard this? from, uh, you know, from like a, a Michael Jordan or a Magic Johnson or, you know, uh, or Muhammad Ali, right? You, you, you it's, it's consistency, it's staying on course, it's trusting your plan and following through.
0: Yeah, I, I love that. It's, you know, it's more <laughs> of an effort thing that if if your full effort produces 80% of your max, it doesn't matter, you, you put in your full effort. And now that 80% day will eventually push your 100% day higher whenever that day comes back around.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: And and a lot of it though comes down to routine, right? Because eventually you have to do its consistency of routine because one thing leads to the next. Do you have a certain way you start your day? Do you have a certain way? Do you have something maybe you tap into? For me, I have a very specific warm up that I just, I don't think about if I I really don't want to leave this office because I just don't feel like working out today, even though my gym is literally 10 feet from the door that we're talking at right now. I say, you know what? I'm just gonna do my warm up. That's it. I have a three minute yeah. warm up. I just sit and do it. I've never gone through my warm up and not gone into my workout. Never. But I don't yeah. think about the workout. I just think about the warm up. Do you have something similar every day that maybe you do that kicks off your routine?
1: Yeah, it's called the alarm clock. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good right? start. Yeah, yeah, good start, right? You, you, consistency starts with consistent every day. So I'm up at 5:30 every day. Actually, my alarm clock goes off at 4:30 every day. And my goal is to be in the gym by five 30 every morning, you know, and, but that's just me, right? Yeah. Uh, anybody, you, everybody will be a little different, but the, the thing is you got to have that every day mentality, right? It can't be, Oh, I'm just going to work out Monday. I'm going to work out, uh, you know, in the gym because everybody's workout regimen is different, right? You could do, you could be running on Tuesdays and Thursdays and working on the gym Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays. Right. But you don't, for me, I don't just set my alarm clock. To Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 4:30, right? Even though I'm, I may not be going to the gym or whatever on Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, my alarm is still set for 4:30, right? So that is, that is the, that's the first step is have that consistency, right? And you talked about that, and you know, it's, it's everything that you do every day. There is not, and just like you mentioned, there's not one time where I've forced myself. On days that I just don't feel like it, where I force myself to exercise, not one time at the end of that session have I regretted it. Have I regret going? Right. But it all starts with, for me, getting up at that four thirty. Now it, it takes my body about twenty five to, to to thirty minutes to actually begin to work when I wake up, because when I wake up, my system is is very depleted on, on dopamine. Uh, I rely on some synthetic dopamine and and some in the medication that I take, and it takes. About 15 to 20 minutes to, for that to kick in, you know. So as I'm awake, I, you know, I'm I'm just thinking through my day. This is what I need to do today. This is what I have planned. Things that I need to work on, uh, you know, from from a from a fitness perspective to help me with my everyday living, right? I rec- for example, recently I've been I've been dealing with a lot of uh, 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 dystonia, which is which is uh, just a fancy word for for cramps that comes along with uh, parkinson's but it's yeah. not just any cramps right everybody's had Charlie horses dystonia doesn't go away after you stretch it out dystonia doesn't go away after a minute right dystonia lasts for 40 minutes to an hour hour and a half right so you know i'm i'm, I'm i've been experiencing a lot of that lately so i'm thinking as i'm laying in bed trying to get my get my system start kickstarted i'm thinking okay what do i need to do today in the gym that's going to help my dystonia mm-hmm. Right, and I always get it in my my neck and, and in my shoulders, uh, and so I'm always thinking about the 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 to to all of those, so that I can help get myself pulled mm. out of that of the situation. So even when I am inactive, even when I'm still laying there, right? Plan, I'm I'm planning out my day. I'm planning out what I need to do. So for the
0: dystonia, I think you and I talked about a specific example too, where you talked about running and your toes curling. Yep but you have run through that. Like I, one, I can't imagine what that feels like, but two, when's the first time that you realize, you know what? I can get through this sensation. My turtles have cooled under. It really hurts to run, but I can get through it. But when is the first time? When's the first time you realize, you know what? I can get through this. And what example was that for you to get through other, you know, other forms of dystonia or other, you know, other similar events?
1: Yeah, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. The first time I had dystonia while I was running, quit. I stopped, right? Uh, it was just so, yeah, it was so painful. Was in, and when I experienced it for the first time, trying to run with your toes curled under, it, you, you create blisters, you, you you put a lot of pressure on the nails, and it's just a lot of pain there, right? But, you know, it's, so it, it happened. I stopped, I walked, I went home, right? But it, it didn't discourage me from coming back the next day to, 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 to run again. And then when it happened again, this time I was a little bit further out from my house. So it became harder and harder to, to turn around and come home. Yeah. Ultimately I got to the point where I was, I was so far away from home, right? That I had a choice. I can call my wife to pick me up, or I can just see if I can power through it. Right. So every time that it happened, I try to power through it a little bit more until I can't take it anymore. And then I stop. <clears throat> right. Of course, with reason, right? I'm trying to be safe. I don't want to, I don't want to hurt myself. Sure. Right. right? Uh, you have to know your own limitations. But then I, I realized that the, the more I did this, uh, the more uh, ways of of working around it that I played with, you know, uh, some of it is, is is could be frowned upon in the running world. Right. Like like turning your, your, your feet to the side and you're you're running along the side of your, your feet. That's that that's not great form. Right. And, and I and I and I found that out. So I switched it. So but instead, what I have found eventually that works for me through trial and error, and just just again, keep going and, and keep doing it through trial and error is that when my toes curl, I can continue on as long as I take pressure off of my toes. And when I do that by instead of doing a four foot, uh, in a four foot strike, I just go to a heel strike. And if I go to a heel strike, there's a lot very little pressure on my toes, when I make that strike, and it's still a safe strike. Uh, as long as my shoes are, 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 you know, I, I, use a stability shoe. This is very well cushioned. Uh, so I'm not putting a lot of, you know, as much, uh, uh pressure on, on my Achilles and on my knees sure. as I normally, you know, with other, but again, so it's just, just things that I, I, I learn along the way through trial and error. And then also I ask around other people who are running with Parkinson's, right? Have you experienced this? What are you guys doing? And we all have our little tips and tricks. And everybody tries them because it may work for you. It may not work for me, whatever, but I just keep going.
0: Yeah. Well, and that that kind of brings you to the importance of, you know, one of the other keys in one of the quotes I read was, you know, the strength of community. Why community is so important. You know, just be able to get that advice. I, I can't imagine, you know, what, what it's like for a level there. At what point do you take this? So you've learned the importance of movement. You realize it helps you. But I guess you never really had to take it to the level you did, which is you know, it's so impressive. It's impressive already. But at what point does American Ninja Warrior and not just half marathons, but ultra marathons, where does it start becoming a part of, of the goal?
1: Well, as every time that I hit a milestone, right, you got to push that goalpost out a little bit more. So you have something to be chasing, right? When you've achieved a 10K, what's next? A 15K, Right. When you achieve the 50, it's a it's 21k, it's a half marathon. And then after you achieve a half marathon, you just gotta keep pushing that that out. And really that's how my progression went. Is I, I constantly set goals for myself, small, obtainable goals, right? Realistic goals. I didn't set out in 2010 and say, hey, you know what? One day I'm gonna I'm gonna run a hundred half marathons and I'm gonna I'm gonna be an American Ninja Warrior and I'm gonna I'm gonna do all kinds of this and that. No, I didn't in back in in 2010 my goal was just to be able to walk around the block right yeah then it wasn't until 2012 until i ran my first 5k and then i started pushing that 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 goal every time i completed something first 5k all right let's do a 10k when i did the 10k let's do a 15k i did the 15 like i said just kept pushing it out and then every time i achieved something i just kept going so ultimately it became a, a marathon and then ultra marathons and then at that time, I I was I was really fit already because it's after years and years of running. Then, my daughter said, "Why don't you try out for American Ninja Warrior?" Right, but she bugged me for three years before I made all kinds of excuses, just like everyone else probably sure. would. I don't have the upper body strength. I don't have balance. Right? Come on, a person with Parkinson's? Are you kidding me? So, but it, it, it's it's it'll just get to the point where, as I keep pushing these goalposts out, I realize that. This is, is some. It, it is possible. It is possible if I just keep, you know, doing a little bit more each day, and that's that's how I've envisioned. That's how I've lived my uh, uh, my life, you know, for the last eleven or, or, or twelve years or so. Is just if I can do a little bit more each day, you know, whatever that the next goal is, is so to see if I can get there, and then once I get there, I just push it out and just keep going.
0: You know, Jim, as as you talk about, I'm always so fascinated about, impressed by. With you is you know I, th- I think most people see they probably see if you know if i went to your instagram page i think a lot of people might assume that a lot of the feats that you can do and if and those who haven't seen jimmy's page you got to go see it but you know the the power of the plyometric push-ups and you know there's there are these really impressive feats of strength that one percent of people in the world can do a lot of these you achieved after a diagnosis, after putting in work, they weren't things that you were able to do at 22, and then just maintained along the way. And I, you know, and I think it's this is a really important message because people doubt themselves so much, and they use much lesser reasons as, as walls in their life, as as dead ends in their life, to say, "Well, now, now there's definitely now I definitely can't do this." And sometimes it could be just having kids. Well, now I have a kid. Well, now I definitely can't go, go follow this goal or that goal. So, you know, I, I just, I'm always so impressed every time I see a new video of you or something else you're doing that all this came in when you had every reason to not attempt anything, let alone this level that you're achieving.
1: You know, and, and, and my comment to that is, and this is, this this is where we will really get into about mindset, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. People ask me all the time, you know, can you imagine how much faster you would be, how much stronger you would be, how much more how much more agile you could be if you didn't have Parkinson's, right? I told, I stare right at them in the face, and I always say, to be honest with you, if I didn't, if I was never diagnosed with Parkinson's, I wouldn't be doing these things that I'm doing today, right? I might be just sitting on the couch eating potato chips, you know, living my just just going about my everyday, you know. So I would never even have attempted any of this stuff if I did, if I was never diagnosed with Parkinson's. So in a way, Parkinson's has, you know, it, it it has taken so much away from me, but at the same time, it has given me so much in return, you know? Yeah. Uh, And I think, I think that's important because that is a mindset instead of instead of using Parkinson's as an excuse or everybody else in the world, using whatever adversity that they're feeling or they're, they're facing, instead of using that in, as an excuse, you use, I use it as the as a fuel, you know, yeah. I use it in that this is something that's trying to stop me, but this is my, my goal is not to let it. Right. So I'm using yeah. it as fuel instead of learning from, you know, instead of, instead of taking things as, oh, Parkinson's has taken X, Y, and Z away from me. So I can't do A, B, and C. Instead, I'm thinking, you know what? Parkinson's has left me with X, y, and Z. What can I do with X, Y, and Z to achieve a, B, and C? Yes, right. So that's just I think that's just the difference in mindset in a lot of people that just haven't really thought about it yet. and if if they can make that switch, they can understand that they're still capable of so much more.
0: And that's where your story becomes so important, because I think people, not everyone gets the switch naturally. Or, or just solo which is okay right we have a support system we have this world we live in we should be using each other in, in this positive way I was asked to speak at a high school football <laughs> event recently and I and the event and they asked me to talk on overcoming adversity and the story I told was about my dad dying in 2013 of a brain tumor and of course I would much rather have him here if, you know, going if if I had a chance, of course, I'd, I really wish he was here with his eight grandchildren all the time however i i it's not lost on me that if I didn't lose him, I would not have this podcast. I wouldn't have been sitting there speaking to them at that event. I wouldn't be here getting to to talk to you today, and odds are I wouldn't be sitting in my own gym right now, maybe, but probably not because that because once I got through my my dark phase with that. Cause mm-hmm. I went through, you know, went through my own. It, it's a, it's a different type of daily focus, a different type of motivation. So it's, you know, it, it's not that you're saying, Oh, thank God I got this. Or thank God my dad died. Oh. It's, I don't have control over that anymore. So now what am I going to do anyway?
1: Yep. Absolutely. The world keeps turning, right?
0: Yes. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, I, it's just really hard for people to, to find that point. You know, I'm, I'm lucky. I think I'll, I'll call myself lucky that I, you know, at some point I just realized I want to do something with this. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not okay sitting here being just a victim or having this story be something that just happened. And now it just becomes a mark on a timetable in my life. And then I just kind of just kept on going in the same way I was, but it's hard, right? It's really hard for people to take even lesser incidents and, and turn them into something else.
1: It is. And, and I, and and I said this earlier on already in in the podcast, and I, and I want to say it again because it's important, right? When, when life, when life throws a change at you, that is life-changing, right? You got two choices. You've could, you can continue the path that you're going right. The change already happened. The life change already happened and you can continue the path you're taking. And if it's not working for you, it's not, it's going to continue not to work. Or you can make a lifestyle change, right? To adjust for that life change that's just happened. So then you can find a path that works for you. Yes.
0: Yes. It's fantastically said. And now you're using, now you've taken another step now. Now you're actually coaching. And yeah. you're helping people find these messages, both movement and bigger mindset messages, direct to people. You know, so now you're a coach at, at a, at an American Ninja Warrior gym, not far from where I am today. I can't wait to go. When did that become this? You know, when obviously you you used the word selfish at one point, just about obviously you're hoping to help yourself, but now you've you're the opposite. You've you've been completely selfless. You've raised, I, I think I saw a quarter million dollars towards the Michael Jackson 600, Foundation.
1: 600,000
0: now. Oh, then I saw a very very old number, <laughs> but <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> you know, so you've done you've done the opposite. You've done a lot of selfless things. When did Coaching and the want to, to flip the switch to helping others. You know, when did that come into play and how'd you get into actually the physical coaching?
1: You know, the, so that those came in two different times in, in, in my journey. When I actually wanted to to help people, that came in 2012. 2012 was uh the my my first uh marathon, right? Mm-hmm. First time I was ever gonna attempt a marathon, a Chicago marathon. And when I signed up for that marathon, or when I tried to sign up for a marathon, I couldn't. Because when I decided I was going to do it, it was September. And Chicago Marathon runs in October. October. And as we all know, these races uh, sell out, right? I, right. I, I had no idea back then that race to sell out, right? right. A <laughs> bunch of crazy people want to pay, you know, 300 bucks to run 26 miles. So <laughs> in order for me to get into the race, I had to run for charity. And, you know, that, and that's when I found the Michael J. Fox Foundation. And then I, decide, I, I called him up. I said, hey, I know it's a month from from the race, do you have any bibs left? And they said, yeah, Jimmy, we've got one bib. I'm like, well, cool, I'll take it, right? They go, so well, there's a catch. You have to raise $2,000 for, for this bib for the foundation, right? I'm like, okay, I never fundraised that much before, right? And so I did, I took it and I fundraised. but in order to fundraise, yeah. it, it, it forced me to open up my story to other people, mm-hmm. to tell my story. Why am I doing this? Why am I putting myself, putting my body through 26 miles of torture? right, to raise money for Parkinson's research? Well, because number one, I have it. Number two, I'm, I'm finding out that exercise is helping me manage my medication. It's helping me manage my, my on and off periods with Parkinson's. And I'm just, I'm living better through exercise, right? And because of that, because of me starting to share my message, I'm getting a lot of, not only donations, but I'm getting people commenting and says, hey, you know what, thanks to you, you know, you're, you're inspiring me to do this. So I'm seeing a lot of that feedback come through. And in that one month's time, right? In that one month's time, I raised $5,000 for research. I've connected with people in the Parkinson's community. I've I've learned so much about running from the Parkinson's community and also helped others. So in that one month's time, I did more for me and for the Parkinson's community than I did in that first eight years combined, right? That was the moment. That I realized that I got to keep helping. I got to keep doing this. I have to keep doing this. And you know what? To this day, I, I always say that 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 one bib that was left from Michael J. Fox Foundation. I've always felt that that was meant for me. So, so that's the, the side of of uh, you know when I just when I realized that I should be helping others, right? But you know, coaching that coaching part didn't come until much much later. Uh, you know, until actually, I didn't start coaching until two years ago. Right before the start of COVID, when, when everything hit, I, I, I realized that there, I've learned so much about the way my body moves, especially training for American Ninja Warrior with a balance and how everything that I'm doing in the gym translates to my movement outside of the gym on a daily on a daily basis. And I was doing it at a really high level. So people are always coming up to me and asking me, well, how do you do it? What type of training do you do? And then I realized there's so much still more that I can give outside of the Parkinson's community, right? Mm-hmm. I can train people who aren't in the Parkinson's community. So I went and, and, and did all my certifications, uh, and then I, I and, and because uh, Ult, uh, Ultimate Ninjas has been so great to me and allowing me to train, you know, they gave me the opportunity to become one of their coaches there. So today I I coach adult fitness and adult obstacles.
0: Awesome. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's fun, isn't it? Like it's, it's different when you, when you see, I mean, when you, when you feel yourself achieve something, it is, but it's great and you love it and you make, you know, you're proud of yourself, but there's something a little different about, about helping someone and watching that light bulb go off. Right. Yeah. Like when you, when you see someone achieve something for the first time, when you know, they really doubted themselves and you look, see that look on their face. It's, it's really cool, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Because I've experienced those moments, right? Yeah. Those light bulb moments. And I want other people to feel that. You know, and, and, and let's be honest, not everybody can be coaches, right? No. It, it takes, and, you know, and it took a lot of convincing for myself that I can be a coach, but it came from, once again, feedback from those around me. Like you talk about community all the time, right? When I was yeah. working out at the gym as a member, other people started to take, started to mimic or started to ask me and started to learn just from watching me. And then I realized, you know what? Instead of letting them try to figure it out themselves by watching me do what I do, maybe I can explain why I'm doing the things that I'm doing and then it will help them. And then it just, it just turned from there. And then I, I absolutely enjoy it. I coach people, able-bodied people. I coach people with Parkinson's. I coach, you know, whoever it is that is willing to put in the hard work, I will coach.
0: Yeah. Well, it goes back to you said, everyone has some type of adversity, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and everyone needs health, And I think that's where these two things really need to be connected more. And I think that's something you found thanks to that trial. You found it early on the, the need for movement and health to, you know, to, to connect to what was going to help you. But, um, so I, I think everyone needs you, you know, yeah. everyone needs, needs that, that person that's going to, going to remind them on the hardest days. Cause it's easy to coach people that always want to be here. Yeah. It's fun, but it's not difficult to do it's hard to get the person who doesn't want to be here and, and to continue to get them in and to, to really coach them into those light bulb movements and into that confidence to where they can now be a little more independent with their own habits, their own health. That's the hardest part about coaching.
1: Yeah, absolutely is. And 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 it all goes, and now it all comes back right back to, to surrounding yourself with, with people, you know, who are going to make you better. No, the ones that are, that are going to make snide comments at you uh, behind your back. Mm-hmm know, who cares? You don't need those people. Right. But, but if you start like even coaches have coaches. Yes. Right. So I have coaches when it comes to fitness, I have coaches when it comes to obstacles, I've got coaches when it comes to running I have different coaches for different things. Right. Because I'm not an expert on on everything and I need to rely on expertise from other people. So people need to realize that, that just because you're, you're, you're a coach doesn't mean number one, you stop learning. Number two, doesn't mean you don't need other people to help you.
0: If anything, I think it's the opposite. I think what's what's made me a successful coach is the fact that I, I always want to be, I never want to be the smartest person in the room. I never, you know, I, I really always want to keep learning because that's how I help my clients. The most, my members, the most is by continuing to learn new ways to approach different problems.
1: Yeah. And then also learning from your clients, learning from people that you work with, right. If you know, uh, you know, they, some, some clients are, A lot of, a lot of times clients are more fit than the coaches themselves, right? And, but other times, even the, even the clients who are working their, their goals uh, towards their fitness, there's something for me as a coach to learn from, from, from those people. Absolutely. So, um, and that's going to make me better and that, and, and in return, hopefully make everyone else better. So it's, it's, it's always a, it's, it's always a give and take relationship.
0: Absolutely. It is. Absolutely. Exercises. I've been wanting to ask you this question because I'm curious. One, do you have a favorite obstacle?
1: Uh, my favorite obstacle is um, yeah, I, I would say it's uh, it's it's some, is anything on the salmon ladder. Ah, okay. Yeah, so you know, salmon tough. ladder, it, it's 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 a tough obstacle, right? But when when it comes to like adding levels to 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 the to the salmon ladder itself, like transferring from. From one side to the other, moving that bar, bringing it with you as you go, and you work your way up against gravity. Uh, you know, it's I, I, it's a lot of fun, um, and uh, it, yeah, I, I just love it. It's it, it's it, and that sound of when that bar just hits, that clanking sound. It's it's uh, it's pretty cool.
0: It's so hard, so hard. <laughs> I I can get a couple, but not like you can. And what's something that you can achieve yet that you're working on?
1: A uh, handstand, anything. So you know, oh, okay, with, yeah, with, with with tremors, you know, it's it's really tough uh, for me to find my balance, especially tremors in the in the arm, and then there's internal tremors that's going on. So when I'm when I'm trying to find that balance, I'm trying to trying to achieve a, a, a you know non-wall-assisting handstand, it's tough. It's tough. I, I I know I can hold my I can hold myself up. I know the strength is there. Now it's just a matter of finding that balance. But that's something that I've been struggling with for a long time and I'm constantly working on it and, you know, making, making strides a little bit at a time. Hopefully one day. Uh, I
0: I have zero doubt that you will. And I'll look forward to that video. (laughs) (laughs) Jimmy, today's been awesome. I really want to thank you for, for taking the time. Where can people find you and where can people find more and learn more about Parkinson's and, and Contribute?
1: Yeah, you know, I can be found on Instagram, on uh, TikTok, on Facebook. It's at AC Fox Ninja for all three. You know, as far as Parkinson's uh, is concerned, go to reliable sources. The Michael J. Fox Foundation is a good one. The Parkinson's Foundation. The Davis Finney Foundation uh, is another one. Davis Finney is an an Olympic gold medal cyclist who lives with Parkinson's. And then, of course, the Brian Grant Foundation is another good one to go to. Brian Grant is is a former NBA player who was diagnosed right in the middle of his playing career so those are all good sources uh to to get information about parkinson's but yeah you know it's it, I, I encourage everybody to at least know the basics about parkinson's um you know it's it, it's a very there's there's a stigma around that disease uh in the public nobody ever wants to talk about it including people with parkinson's so that's one of the things that i'm trying to change as well
0: yeah well GBI the, the world the world needs more people like you in every avenue for every for every disease and in just in general for a mindset and just to to become better. So, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to have met you and I'm grateful that that you exist and you're doing what you're doing. So, thank you.
1: Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. Really appreciate.
0: Uh, absolutely, stick around for a second, viewers. Thank you. Uh, definitely check out Jimmy. All the notes will be in the show notes as usual, and uh, don't forget to rate and review. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast. Find more episodes like this at www.lifestyleasmedicinepodcast.com and visit www.marhealthandperformance.com and at Mar Health and Performance on both Facebook and Instagram for more great content and information about programs. Have a great day. See you next time.